the you that goes, does the scary thing, won't get out of it alive. It, it, you know, you won't be you when you come back, you'll be changed. Now, if you're acting with courage, you'll almost always have grown, um, but you will be changed. And the part of you, a part, some parts of you don't want to die. I'm Sarah Wyler, TEDx speaker, coach, and creative multi-passionate, and I'm fascinated by how we navigate quitting. Whether it's a project, a relationship, or where we live, the emotional turmoil of bringing something to a close can be deeply uncomfortable. In the past four years of research, I've come to see that knowing when to quit is really about getting to know ourselves. It's about becoming attuned to our bodies and the murmurs of our hearts and knowing what it feels like when something is complete. I'm so excited to share this podcast with you. It feels like exactly the right moment to be having these conversations. We're so afraid of quitting, yet it can be our greatest teacher. It shows us what's important to us, what our boundaries are, and what conditions we personally need to thrive in this lifetime. When we allow it, quitting really is the facilitator of joy. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode five of series two of Knowing When to Quit. And first, a big thank you to everyone who downloaded last week's episode. I got so many lovely messages from you all saying that stuff had resonated, that you'd passed it on to friends, that it helped you feel more confident about your life, that you'd feel felt seen. So that's just so lovely to hear. And I really appreciate you all taking the time to do that. So on today's episode, we're taking a different turn. We're going to be talking about not quitting and how to keep going in the face of resistance. My guest today is Robbie Swale. He's a leadership coach, author, and podcaster whose work focuses on creativity, leading with honor, and the craft of coaching. And he's gonna be sharing with us his journey to building a habit and a writing practice which has transformed his life. This is one of those episodes that you're gonna wanna listen to multiple times to get all of the nuggets of wisdom out. Every time I listen to this, there's something new that lands. And Robbie has an incredible way of explaining about creativity, about resilience. He's so honest and open, and I just think you're going to love it. So for anyone who's got any project at the moment that they're trying to bring to life or a habit you want to film, if you believe that you're someone that doesn't really have the ability to keep going with something, this is your episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to support us, there's three ways you can do that. Firstly, you can rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that can help it get up in the charts and reach more people. Secondly, you can share this episode with others and help spread the word. And thirdly, you can buy us a coffee at ko.fi.com forward slash Sarah Wyler. Enjoy the episode. Setting, always know exactly when to fall. The leaves setting, always know exactly when to fall. The leaves setting, always know exactly when to fall. 
you obviously approached me for this this podcast because <laughs> you're like, I want to talk about when we don't quit. And yeah. I was just like, ooh, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I feel like that's, I, it's really, it was really interesting, the response I had, because like my immediate thought was like, that is so off-brand. And then I was yeah. like, no, I think, well, but then I was like, this is called knowing when to quit, right? So mm. it's it's supposed to be neutral. But yeah, I, and, you know, you've written this amazing book called The 12-Minute Method, which I really enjoyed reading. And it's, you know, it's triggering. It's provocative because it's <laughs> it's really challenges, like a lot of the stuff that I, I suppose has been my my work and my my belief system and I, I I just think I'd love yeah I'd love you to share a bit about what the 12 minute method is and maybe how you came to create it yeah. so that we feel feel less bad about ourselves <laughs> <laughs> um so the the I think it's like what you've said is so interesting Sarah because it's like I had that same thought when I was reaching out to you and then I um and then I thought more yeah I thought a bit like you did I thought a bit more and I was like well I think there is a there is an interesting thing here about like when to quit and I had thought about your brand which is like I do feel like you're the quitting lady a little bit mm. but if I when I was reading back the quitting quadrant ahead of this call it's not about that really it's not about no. quitting it's about yeah how do we manage ourselves and know when to quit exactly yeah and, and, and I've got to say since we scheduled this in I keep when people are talking to me about not giving up um, which, like, well, yeah, it's the subject of one of the 12 minute books. Um, I keep saying that I've been talking about this conversation loads. I'm like, I'm having a conversation with Sarah who's all about quitting and it's going to be great because maybe by the end of it, we'll know, we'll actually know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, when should you keep going when you want to quit and when should you quit? Um, and I think that's a great question. Um, but you've obviously had huge success in, in doing something small. So you, you've been writing every day. How many years? So yeah, let me tell. Let me let me actually. Yeah, ask you, you tell you yeah, tell the yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's not every day, and that's actually a really important thing that I've kind okay. of thought about quite a lot. So um, yeah, essentially, this all started for me about six and a bit years ago. So I'd been self-employed for about a year. I was working with a coach called Joel to who I owe Joel Monk to who I owe an awful lot, and um, I was finding in my work but also my life more generally I kept coming up against this kind of like place that I felt anxious and stressed and the, the, the heading I gave it in my work with Joel was sharing myself um, and that would be like like when I was posting my website as a as for my coaching business the first time absolutely it showed up there it was anxious and stressful even oh. though I worked had, had quite a bit of self-awareness about it by then but it was also like making jokes on Facebook there was a time in my life where I would just do that and it would be fun and relaxing and that kind of thing. And then that was not what it was like in 2016. And that might've been because Facebook was really weird in 2016. I don't know if anyone remembers that some, some weird stuff happened in 2016. I think Facebook yeah. got weird, but um, I had that in a lot of places and I didn't want it to be like that. I didn't want to keep feeling like that, but also I knew that I was going to be working for myself and I had a sense it would be for the medium term, uh, uh, barring, quitting getting getting a job of course if that happens next year um and so i it, it felt like it wasn't it would be a really useful thing to work on so joel and i did some work on it and essentially we came up with an experiment we'd done a bit of experiment with writing i didn't really set out to have a writing practice i don't think although we were playing around with writing like it was there it wasn't like i said i want to have a blog what we came up with as a practice was um, Joel used to be a visual artist and he said, 
when I was an artist, I used to love painting a series series of paintings. What if you wrote a series of articles? Mm. And so we, we, that was like a really, I don't know why, but that, that stuck with me so much and feels like a key moment in the story. And so what we set up was a thing called the train series, which was I would write on my train journey from Clapham Junction in Southwest London to Waterloo in the middle of town. And um, the game was write while the train's moving, stop when it stops, proofread <laughs> it once, and post the thing online after one proofread on LinkedIn. And I chose LinkedIn because basically I thought no one reads LinkedIn um, <laughs> and I'm safe there. Um, and, and it was uh, 12 minutes, right? This train journey. Well, the train journey. So so then what happened later was I, um, the 12 minute thing comes because later I stopped getting the train as much. So I did it five times mm. and I, I kind of, I didn't get a lot of response. And some of them probably didn't get any likes and comments. A few of them got a like or a comment. Um, but the key thing was like the world didn't implode. I didn't like get laughed out of town. No one said my mm. writing was terrible. That was all the fear, right? The fear was in, I'll be judged. It'll be awful. And I couched that a bit by telling everyone at the bottom of the articles it was written on the train. And so after two weeks, um, <laughs> I, I knew, um, <laughs> after two weeks, I did five and I, I knew that something was up. It wasn't fun. It was still quite anxious, but um, I knew something was up. So I made it weekly and and I've now been doing it weekly for six, more than six years. And at some point, the 12 minute thing comes in because at some point I stopped getting the train as much. And I was like, I still want to do this on weeks that I'm not getting the train. So um, how long is the train journey? And I checked and that day, the train I got was 12 minutes long. And so I started setting a timer for 12 minutes, writing while the time is going, stop when it stops, proofread once, post online. There are now like 260 of them, 270. Ooh. You can read them on my website. And I've been doing one a week since 2016. The, the reason I laughed when you said the train was 12 minutes is because when I was publishing the 12 minute books starting late last year, um, I thought I would check how long the train is from Clapham Junction to Waterloo. Because I had this sense that when I did it, I just checked the time when I got on and checked the time when I got off. And I was like, well, the train, maybe maybe that particular one was delayed. You're right. the, funny, <laughs> the funny thing is there are like two trains a day that are scheduled to be 12 minutes from Clapham Junction to Waterloo, but almost all of them are different times, seven minutes, 13 minutes, 14 yeah. minutes. So the 12 minutes is entirely arbitrary. And that's how it should I love, be. That. Uh, I love it, that. Now it happens that 12 minutes is actually a good amount of time for writing a blog if you're quite a quick writer. Yeah, I used it um, the other day. It was I was amazed actually how much I got to write. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I since so, you know, over the years, there have been a few times where I've had a kind of idea for a longer article. That I thought I would need to sit down and speech marks write properly, not just write mm. in the 12 minutes. Um, and then I've gone like, I've been meaning to write that article about branding for so long now. I, let's just do a 12 minute version. And it turned out that in 12 minutes, I could convey like 98% of what I would have thought I would need to sit down for two yeah. hours to write. Um, and it's, it's amazing what you can, one of the many, many lessons for me from the 12 minute um, method, which has been an absolutely transformational part of my life is that you can get a lot more done in a short amount of time than I think. <laughs> yeah. And this is, what's his name? Um, James Clear, Atomic Habits talks about this, doesn't he? Uh, he, has, he has a story around um, the guy who is trying to lose weight. And I think he's the guy who lost the most amount of weight in the US one year. Some like crazy story. I can't, I'd love right. to remember the facts, but he, for the first month or something, all he did was drive to the gym yeah walk in I think like do one press up or like maybe even just walk in and walk out mm -hmm. like that's what and, and people were like what an idiot he's like no no because I need to gain the habit of even just going to the gym and yeah. by the end he's the one that's done the best 
or like he's he's lost the most weight. I yeah. can't remember if it was in your one about the people who were writing their dissertation. Oh no, this was in four thousand weeks. Have you read four thousand weeks? I'm about halfway through it. Four thousand weeks yeah. is funny. So my sister bought it for me for my birthday. I kind of not bought it, sort of deliberately because it's a bit worrying when you've got a thing and then someone's top of the bestsellers list writing about the same thing. Uh, but then yeah. I started reading his book and I really like it because we agree. <laughs> I have that so often with the quitting stuff. Like people always tag me like this person's just re- released a book about quitting or like, listen, Elizabeth Day has done a thing about quitting and they tag me. And on the one hand, I'm like, that's really lovely that people think of me. Yeah. So it means that like I am on their radar, but also that person's already done it. <laughs> I know, I know. But what I was going to say about 4,000 weeks is they, they didn't, they do, in, um, they did research about people's PhDs and like the students who, write the least every day actually end up getting it done more quickly yeah well this this brings it back a bit to you saying you've been writing 12 minutes a day since whenever and it's really important that I that I did oh, what, yeah. that the habit wasn't 12 minutes a day because no. it, it was actually less than that so so it was 12 minutes a week um and I really think if I tried to set a habit if I'd gone for a blog post written in 12 minutes every day there's no way I'd have kept it going for why not six years it just like there are just days when it would have got lost, but there is no week where mm. I, where twelve where I where twelve minutes can't be found. Doesn't matter what's happening in my life, right? I mean, I I haven't written one every week because I take holidays, um, and there have been a couple of other times, but pretty much, I've only I think I've only ever deliberately not written in a week. I don't think I've ever missed one by mistake because twelve minutes a week is doable. And it's like, mm. that's the, the reason that made me think of it is that's even less, isn't it, than 12 minutes a day. Yeah. And yet, so the, the bit of the 12 minute story that I, I didn't tell to connect it to the books is about three years in, um, Seth Godin had just published a book of his blog. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I kind of had the thought, I could publish a book of my blog. Um, mm. And, um, you know, I thought the, the main reason I thought I would, I talked myself into doing that was um, maybe two reasons. One was like LinkedIn. They were all on LinkedIn at the time and not on my website. And LinkedIn, it's hard for me to find my own articles on LinkedIn, right. let alone somebody else who wanted to read. If someone wanted to read through a load of my blog, it'd be quite hard. Um, and the other reason was I thought it'd be funny because I could call a book of that blog, I wrote this book in 12 minutes, mm. um, which is an in-your-face title. And um, what was interesting about that is I had 80,000 words. Wow. So 12 minutes a week for three years, for me, was 80,000 words. And I would have never thought, and that's, I can't remember how what long What is the book usually? Well, so the book that, um, the Keep Going book that, that I sent to you is about uh, 25,000, I think. So I decided okay. in the end that uh, 80,000 was too long for a book like this, or uh, for various reasons, it would be better to split the book into... Um, four parts which are all about 20,000 20 to 30,000 I think maybe the, the the third book is a bit longer um and and, and there's various reasons that, that that was the decision um oh but just to tie yeah just to tie up the story so I, I talked to my friend Steve about um about how I wrote this book in 12 minutes because he was going to do some editing and Steve said that's a great title because it makes me think if you wrote a book in 12 minutes why haven't I gotten and done all the stuff that I've been meaning to do yeah um, but the key the, the amazing question that he asked so grateful to him for this question is can the book itself do that like if people read the book mm. does it help them do that thing and so I sat down rather with my than friend. just about what you did right like like 
it's just a funny title and then it's a book of my blog and, and for people who are following me they might want to buy that but but what but can the book actually do that and the magical thing was that it it could um so i sat down with my coach who was katie harvey at the time and we did some work on like she helped me think about what are the stages that you have to go through if you want to finally do something you've been meaning to do for a long time or if you want to basically if you want to create anything and I came up with four stages. And then I sat down with the 130, 140 odd posts from those first three years and dealt them out. And they went pretty much exactly into those four stages. And that's kind of nuts. I hadn't just written 80,000 words. I'd written 80,000 words about the creative process. Um, and looking back then, it made total sense because if you're writing in 12 minutes or on the train, you haven't really got time to think about strategically about what you're going to write about and I hadn't mm. started the blog in order to have a blog about coaching or have a blog about something else I just started it to practice sharing things online and so I was just writing about what I was interested in and what I was interested in was what I was wrestling with in my life how do you start a business how do I write these things what does it mean to market myself what does it mean to keep going um, and I was also coaching people and so all the things I was working with them on that was my business were things people wanted to do but hadn't done yet. And that's pretty much the definition of coaching, right? You get some help with the thing you want to do, but you don't know how to do or you haven't done yet. And so it's obvious really that I've been writing about that, but I hadn't meant to. And so, yeah. And so then, then in the end, we decided that the, the, the book wouldn't be called that. Um, and that the, it would be split into four parts so that if somebody really needs help with starting, they can read the start book. And they might be fine with with keeping going, but if they need help, if they're good at starting and 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 struggle with keeping going, they can just read the second book. And if they want help with everything, they can buy all of them, and they become my favorite people. The, the one you sent me was all four sections, right? No, so that is oh. that is book two. You've read, I think you've read book two, how to keep going when you want to give up. Um, oh yeah, but it's and, got four sections in it, right? And in it, it has four sections. Yeah. And so what I did then, and this is interesting, right? Because I don't think that. I mean, I, maybe I would have, but I then sat down with, I, I just read the articles and I thought, well, which ones feel like a keep going piece? And these ones mm. do. And then what are the themes here? So I basically I did the research backwards. And it, this, this was a real struggle when I was working on the publishing part of this, because it's like, who am I to write a book? And this is not how books are written. That was my story yeah. a lot. It's like, no one writes books like this. But how you write a book, Sarah, is you get a PhD, ideally from Harvard, then you stay on and become a postdoc and then a professor. And then after you've done about 30 years of research, then it's okay to publish a pop science book um, or a self-help book. Everything else doesn't count. And so writing a blog, turning it into a book without even meaning to, that required some uh, mental gymnastics to get through so that the books got out there. Um, but no, so then what I discovered was there were some themes amongst those keep going, mm. those keep going pieces. And those are the parts of the book. And, and those themes, I mean, people can, people can take a look, but those themes are, if you want to keep going with something, you have to hold your focus yeah. and resi resist distractions. You have to deal with yourself. You have to negotiate all the online comparison stuff that goes on and you have to keep going even on the days when it's really hard. Yeah. And I guess I'd love to talk a bit about when it's really hard because you know, hearing you talk about this, it almost seems like it happened by accident that, you know, you were like, oh, wow, I've written four books. That's cool. But <laughs> I wonder if that was the reality. Like, were there days or weeks when you didn't want to write? Like, how did you, were there days when you're like, I don't even care about this anymore? Like, was there any of that through this process? Um, yes. Um, plenty. Uh, and as you were saying that, like two things when they came up, let's see if I remember both. Like one is, I think that's why a weekly practice helps. So it meant that on the days when life was really, really tough, 
or I was really disillusioned. Um, I didn't have to write. I could like put it off now, you know, a bit, but not too far. Cause I knew that if I put it off beyond Sunday, actually, I mostly wrote to a Friday deadline The that, you know, my piece had to be done by mm. Friday. That was self-imposed, but it's like, if I, if I got to Friday, then I would, I would tend to write something, you know, but I, yeah, it meant that I had a bit of flexibility around that. So that's one thing. The other thing is I'd, I'd like, well, the two things, I guess I kept going, I think, because I felt I could feel it was good. Like it quite, mm -hmm. it quite quickly felt not necessarily, like I said before, easy or fun, but it felt like good. Like something was up with it. I knew something was up on some Good level. as in what you were writing or good for you? Good for me. Not necessarily yeah. good as in what I was writing. I was trying to detach from that as much as possible. And if you read, so in the books, or if you go to my website and scroll right back through the blog, if you read the early ones compared to the later ones, I'm much better six years in at writing a piece sure. of 12 minutes, like much better. And that is worth looking at because it's a reminder of how important practice is. Um, and that if you, but if you do something 260 times or so over six years, you're going to get better at it. Like that's a really important thing that I think I, I uh, intellectually knew six years ago, but didn't know nearly as much in an embodied way. Uh, so it was, but it, it, no, I knew it, more that it was good for me, that it was like, I was growing. Mm. It was useful. It was good. It was a bit good for business, but also it was, it was useful. And then at some point, a really interesting thing happened, which is that it, which is what I think happens with habits, which is at some point it becomes weirder to not do the thing than it does to do the thing. So when you're starting something new, it's really weird to do the thing. Like I hope that came across about me writing those articles. It was really weird to post an article on LinkedIn that I'd only, like anything, let alone one I'd only proofread once. Um, and then at some point uh, partway through, like I remember this day, <laughs> in fact, we could date it if we looked at football results because I was in the pub on a Friday night talking about a ridiculous last minute win that Man United had against Paris Saint-Germain. And um, then I realized after poor my poor, uh, probably wife by that point, Emma had listened to a monologue about maybe how Man United were finally gonna turn around and become good again. Um, I realized I hadn't written a blog for that week and we went home and I wrote an article because it would have been really weird for me at that point. And she knew that, mm. right? Other people knew that as well. It's like, this is a thing that I do. And now I'm doing it, it's gonna, like it stays that way. And there was also a piece, the last piece that was probably playing a part is the public, uh, what is it like the- Accountability. Accountability, exactly. Like I've said, it's a weekly practice at some point in this progress, mm. people know that. So mostly I think it's really useful to, to build the capability to keep your promises to yourself. I think that's like a far more useful thing than being able to keep your promises to other people. But, um, but until you get to that point, because you have to practice that, using other people for accountability is a really yeah. valuable way of, of doing it. Especially if, like me, a lot of your fears are about um, looking stupid. Well, yeah, and I, when, when I was reading your book, I was reflecting on my comedy night that I ran because mm. I it was a new material night. So once a month for seven years, I wrote a song. I wrote a comedy song. And I definitely wouldn't have written, I've written like 50 or something songs now yeah. over those years. I definitely wouldn't have written them if I hadn't had to. I would Because, it, you know, so it would get good. to the week of the show and I'd be like, <laughs> oh, well, I could do old stuff, but like it's a new material night. Like yeah. we've called it that, you know. And um, yeah, I just wouldn't have done it. And I think, yeah, having that, having that accountability, having the public witnessing, even if they don't know or care, there's something about that that feels important. Yeah. Yeah. And just learning through that, you know, especially, well, if, if your fears and a lot of us have these fears are about 
you know, humiliation, embarrassment, that kind of thing. Even, like, in fact, people not really caring is much, much better than, than my worst fears. Because my worst fears is people care and they think I'm ridiculous. So actually, if just no one responds, that teaches me a much better thing than my fear is telling me. Oh, I think I'd prefer, I'd, I'd, I'd hate indifference more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I'd fear that more. Quit. Yeah, and, and, and going, going back to what you said before about the, um, the difficult times, you know, I think that one of the interesting things about, about it is if I'd written about, if I'd sat down to write about keep go, keeping going and thought about it, thought about not quitting, I, I might have written about that. But because I was writing every week, you know, some of these pieces were written in difficult times and about difficult yeah. times. And so like, there's this whole section about that because that's when they were written. And I, for me, right. again, it's like, it, it would, if I tried to write this book strategically, it would have been a different book and it would have been less true to my experience of creating because it wouldn't have had, it, you know, unless I happened to spend, unless the three weeks I spent writing that draft, that draft part of that book for the first time, if I'd written it speech marks properly had happened to be when I was feeling miserable or someone had just died or whatever it is, then I wouldn't have been writing in and from those dark days. You said, okay, well, no one writes a book like this, but maybe they should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, absolutely. And like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just didn't know that I've learned so much about what I'm capable of, right? I didn't know I was yeah. capable of keeping a practice going for six years. And I didn't know, like I had a run. <laughs> so I've got another book that isn't published. Well, there's the fourth 12 minute method book is gonna come out, um, is coming out late 2022. But um, I have another book finished, uh, basically finished, like 80,000 words written over the same kind of period that the 12 minute books were written. And I had this weird experience of reading a draft of that and then going back to the 12 minute stuff and being like, oh, these 12 minute books, they're kind of better than the one I, yes. I tried to write. And it's not that that won't see the light of day. And some of it people can read on my website if they want a, a, a preview of it. I think I'll probably publish it more properly next year. But, um, but it, the, you know, there is something about doing it in this way, about, you know, the, the constant piece, the allowing it to emerge that is definitely um, mm. like, it's a kind of allowed me to be someone who is credible to have these books. You know, it's like, how do you become someone who, who can do these things? Well, you kind of have to like do them in some way. Um, and that's what it feels like. Yeah. And, and, and I wanted to ask you about this. Like you've talked a lot in your book about, you know, choose a habit that matters, just choose one and start. Like, mm -hmm. how do you choose? And I guess also included in that question, like, how do you know if you start on one and then you're like, you meet that resistance? How do you know that you just haven't chosen the wrong thing? On the first one, how do you choose a thing? So two, two ways that I would guide people to think about this, but um, also it, these, these might not be right for you. So one of them is like, is there a thing that you've been meaning to do for a long time and kind of wanting to do and wishing you'd started five years ago? Like maybe ideally you'd started doing it 10 years ago. Like those are, those are a great place to start. Like the things that you like wish you'd been doing for a long time. Mm. Um, and and the, the, the thing, interesting thing about those is it's like the reason they're good things to start is every day you don't do those things, the wishing gets bigger. So it's like a, you get hit twice because not only have you not started and you're not starting doing the thing, but actually the wishing, the resentment has got bigger. That's certainly how it's yes. felt for me. So it's like you're, you're hit twice 
it's not neutral to not start if you're regretting not starting. Um, yeah, so that, that's that would be really important. One way to think about it. And, and tied into that is, in a way, when I sat down to think, how would I guide through someone, for the first time when I sat down to think about how I would guide someone through creating a 12-minute practice, what I came back to was I didn't set out to have a writing practice. Mm. I set out to, to change myself, to become somebody who could share myself without feeling this level of anxiety and stress that I felt in 2016 about lots of things, but particularly about posting things online. And that's a great place to start. So it could be like in like, who, who do you want to be in three years time or five years time? And then, and then the next question is what does that person do on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. And so who do, who do I want to be in, in, in three or five years time? And it should be at least that long in my view, like maybe five is probably good. Like who do you want to be in five years time? I'd love to be somebody who can share things online about myself authentically without feeling super stressed. What does a person like that do? on a regular basis they share things about themselves online that's what the thing they do right and how can I turn that then the third question is how do you can you turn that into something as small as possible that you can do on a weekly basis and then it's like well write a piece in 12 minutes proofread it once post it online there's the 12 minute method I love Um, it so so it's not so much about the how it's I really love this it's like who are you becoming and what kind of practice does that have so yeah, thinking about I want to be fitter in five years time. It's not necessarily that I have to be a runner, no. but I so might be like, yeah. I might move, someone might move their body and like prioritize that as part of their week. Exactly. I had a client who was a bit like that. It was like, I, I, I want, when I get to retirement, I don't want to like struggle to get up the stairs. Yeah. Like I want my retirement to be, I, I'm able to climb the stairs easily. And so what does a person, if you're going to be a person who ends up like that, what do you do on a regular basis? Well, you do something, you do some moving yeah, yeah, every yeah. week. <laughs> and that meant that her, her like exercise routines that she was stressed about and not doing weren't as important as, you know, some, I can't remember where we got to. Well, I, I, I can, it was like, it was like two 20 minute cross trainer, light cross trainer sessions a week. And that's enough. And it turned out that was more yeah. than enough. And, and, and actually she was running up escalators quite soon, which she yes. didn't, hadn't felt able to do. And so it's like, yeah, those things that, and, and this is, I think, heads off that question that you were asked, a bit of the question about, are you doing the right thing? If mm. it's about what who you're becoming, like that is a very sound investment, becoming that's the kind so of, helpful. doing the work to become the kind of person you want to become. And, and if you decide later on that actually you might decide, like I might have found out that the, the writing thing didn't really help me become that person. And because I was doing coaching with Joel, probably we would have come back to it at that point and gone, okay, what's a different way of practicing that? Mm. Um, but be careful. This is the kind of quitting question, isn't it? It's like, be careful not to give up for other reasons than either, if you were setting up the exercise in the way we've just described, either I don't actually want, I've realized I don't actually want to become the kind of person I said I wanted to become. That's a good reason to then mm-hmm. stop doing the practice. Or this practice is not helping me become that kind of person. That's another good reason to stop the practice. But would you know that soon? Like, would you have known? I guess you said after five articles, you felt something shift. Yeah. So, I mean, good question. Yes and no, I think. Like, I felt like, yeah, my intuition is, so one of my mentors is a guy called Robert Holden, and he often asks people when they're uh, deliberating, is it fear talking or is it wisdom talking? Mm. And he says, people usually know. <laughs> and I think yeah. if you'd asked me, like there was a part of me after five, I'm sure that was saying, don't do this thing anymore. What's wrong with you? 
as well. As, <laughs> but that would have been, if, you, if Robert had asked me that question, I would have known it was fear. Um, and the wisdom was, this is unpleasant, but it's good for me. Um, and there was the peace. And I yeah. had, I, it, it, I, the part of the reason though, and this is important that I would have known that it was fear is that I had read a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which was hugely influential on me. And he'd basically spelled out how, like I thought, I used to think that all the voices in my head <laughs> were a reason for me to not do things. They were like a sign mm. I wasn't really a business person or a sign I wasn't an author or a writer or, or whatever. And, um, or a reason to not, you know, join a band or a reason yeah. to not um, go to the gym because I was just scared I would be embarrassed, which I all, you know, often am in the gym, but I still go. Um, and The War of Art is a book about what Stephen Pressfield calls resistance, which in some ways is another way of talking about fear, although I think it's a bit more complex than that. And he basically made me believe everyone has these voices. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's not a sign I shouldn't do things. It's just my fear talking, basically. Um, Are you wrote, I wrote down a quote from that. It was something, it was something, about and let me just get it up it was the don't grow so much is this it the don't grow so much by doing this that i have to die and be replaced by a new sense of self yeah that's i think i don't know if that was you i or him. i think that's me paraphrasing yeah Pressfield. can you say about that so it's like he he what i've heard him i think him talk about what he thinks resistance is really these fears which is the the us we are the me i am now otherwise it'll get complicated with the, which person I'm talking in the me I am now um if I do this scary thing I will change and become someone new like that's what happens that's how we change and grow that's how courage happens how confidence happens um, we do a thing that's scary that's courage and then we grow in confidence and capability um, and uh, we change and that's like the hero's journey you go into you do something scary you go into fight the dragon and then you come back um with your wisdom back to your community and you share it that's that's the joseph campbell piece people can look up if they want to um but like the you that goes does the scary thing won't get out of it alive it, it you know you won't be you when you come back you'll be changed now if you're acting with courage you'll almost always have grown um, but you will be changed. And the part of you, a part, some parts of you don't want to die. <laughs> and that feels fair enough to me. It's like, you know, it is scary to put yourself out there and possibly, you know, it, uh, we could be an armchair evolutionary biologist and say, makes sense, right? You don't want to be, you know, it used to be lethal to be cast out of a tribe, to be laughed at, to be ostracized, really literally lethal. Um, in fact, in some hunter-gatherer communities that they that they have observed in the last hundred years, you know, yeah, they just they're quite brutal with old people or sick people. Sometimes they kill them, you know, so like literally kill them. They don't just leave them behind; they kill them. And so it, it's like a real fear, you know, potentially. But mostly now, it's a psychological fear. It's like the part of me, this part of me, will die. What identities did you have to shift then? Yeah, good question. I've got two things. You know, you've asked two two great questions now, Sarah, which I'm not answering. IDs, <laughs> identities I want to shift. I've definitely got stuff to say about that. Um, and we've also got how do you tell if it's resistance or not? And maybe we'll get, we've said a little bit about that, which could be Robert's, is it fear talking or is it wisdom yeah. talking? But the other thing that came up, which is interesting for you for getting a job as well, is probably the the, the, the thing from the war of art that I remember the most often is, um, which is what I thought you were probably going to say when you said, I've written down something 
possibly from the war of art, um, is Steve Pressfield says there's a war, uh, a rule of thumb about resistance, which is the pl something like, this is paraphrasing, the place where you feel the most resistance is the, is the place that is most important for your soul's evolution. So the mm. things you feel the most resistance about are the most important things you can do if you do them for your soul to grow. And I, this was part of the reason that I was facing the, the, the sharing myself thing back in 2016, because I'd read the war of art and I had, a, had an intuition on some level that Steve Pressfield was right about that thing, that, that the things we feel loads of resistance about are really important for us to do. And now when I, when I had this thought earlier this year, I was thinking about that rule of thumb. I was thinking about like, I was like, Oh, imagine I was like discovering and realizing all the things that had changed about me from this 12 minute practice. Like, I feel like in my life, that rule of thumb has been proved right because I did this thing mm. that I felt a lot of resistance about, which was share my writing online. And it has led to abundance, satisfaction, meaning, clients, connections, friends, insights, money, four books, a podcast. Yeah. Like it's like, it's almost impossible and, and we haven't even really talked about what's trans what's changed about me as a human, which is like mm. how I think, how I write, how I speak, um, how confident I am, how, how, how much I understand about growth, what I believe is possible for me. Like all of these things have changed because of a, a, a ridiculous 12 minute blog that I've been writing for, for six years. So it's like the facing the resistance, the things that we are really scared of can have that power. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And and I, I remember because on the stand up night I used to run, we'd always have a beginner slot and I would always be looking for someone who had who'd always wanted to start, do stand up. And I had two responses when I asked people. Some people were like, well, no, everyone said, oh, God, no. Yes. But for some people, but I was like, but why no? Is it because you're just not actually that interested in doing stand up or have you are you so scared because you know how much mm. you want to do it? And so I'd be like, if you're really just like, that's not my bag fine but if there's a part of you that's like that would literally oh my god oh my god I could I then I'm like let's do it because, and it was that thing of like if it's just indifference like it's probably not something you need to do but if it's fear or resistance and this is also like a bit on the quitting quadrant of like mm. disinterest and discomfort like sometimes yeah. we just don't want to do things and it's not you know, I think sometimes we can overanalyze as coaches, like, well, what's stopping you from like taking up hockey? It's like, I just don't want to do it. I'm, I don't think it's a big block. I don't yeah. think there's some like trauma or saboteur. Just don't fancy it. <laughs> Versus like, oh my God, I could never get on that pitch. I think these are, yeah, just how I've seen it is, yeah, I really, I really relate to that thing of like the resistance often is showing us a real desire. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that, and you've just given a great answer as well to like, what should people start? Just choose one and start. Like that, the way you just talked about that is a great way. Like find a thing, if it may not be stand up for the person who's listening, but find a thing which has got that level of fear and mm. then find a way to make that safe. Mm. That's like part of the 12 minute thing, right? Make, we've got to be careful with the goals we set ourselves. They've got to be things that it's possible for us to do. We've got to be safe, stretched, but not torn to bits by them. Um, but yeah, like that would be a great way to choose what, what thing to start. And then, and then Sarah, I just want to catch, I think it's such a great question. What identities I had to shift. Um, mm. and, and, and like, there are kind of two things that um, come up when you came up when you asked that question. So one is that for me, a lot of my fears is about not outshining other people. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like one of the things in 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 Gay Hendricks's book, The Big Leap. He calls it an upper limit problem. And this is great yeah. chapter on the upper limit problem, where he he lists four of them, and like there, he says, pretty much everybody falls into one of these four upper limit problems. And basically, for the listeners, what they are is like the story that happens for us, which means that just as we start to be about to get really happy and fulfilled, we do something to sabotage ourselves. Often, just start worrying about something. It, it, Self employment it is often like um, I'm, I'm worried I'll never get any new clients. And then within like 30 minutes, oh my God, if all these new clients come in, what am I going to do? I'll be, it's going to be awful. Um, And so you flip between those. And that's like, I I think of that whenever I have that thought of like, oh, I'm going to have too many clients. It's going to be terrible. That's upper limit problem for sure. When I was reading The Big Leap, he lists them and and he reads, I read the first three and I was like, huh, none of these. Maybe I don't have an upper limit problem. Maybe I'm the special one. And then the fourth one is like, oh no. Yeah, that's it. Like straight to the heart. And it's about, it's not okay to outshine other people. Yeah. So I, I had to, one, I had to like think about that a lot um, f- for me um, when I was doing this, that was a, a shift. It's like, it's okay. Like for me to do everything that I am capable of. My school story, i tell it really briefly, was, is also extra strange. I didn't go to school till I was nine. So oh, wow. um, I was home educated, which meant that I was, grew up in this, you know, and I had particular parents who were able to do that in a particular way, not because of money, just because if they were, they made the sacrifices to, to be able to do that. Um, until they decided that for money reasons, they actually needed to both work for the opportunities that would give, give us all. But, um, I like, it then meant that I, I was an out, I was a real, real outsider because I didn't understand how any of it worked. And, I found it incredibly stressful. And my pet, my mom, who's mostly spent time with me when I was little, but also my dad are both incredibly sensitive, intuitive people. And, uh, you know, that's just way above average at that. And so when I was faced with average or even above average of the teachers and students that I had, that I was with, it was quite hard for me. So it's, it's not really cool ever at school to be good at everything, which I basically was. And also it's uh, it was extra important for me to fit in. So I had like, mm. I had that upper limit problem almost undoubtedly like added up onto extra layered at that point. It might've been different if I'd gone to like a grammar school or a, a you know, I don't know, yeah. some public schools, it might be different. At some state schools, I'm sure it's definitely different. Um, I went to a very nice and ordinary um, school. Uh, and so it wasn't really the, the thing mm. um, and, and I guess the, the other identity that I've actually just you know which relates to school somewhat I'm sure um, that I've had to uh, let go of and I've really only just done it is I've had to let go of the identity that I'm not really creative oh um, wow and it's like yeah, it's, so actually, it's very creative absolutely and one of the things that lots other people one of the things that helped me really do that especially as I, I was publishing the books is one of my old mentors Phil Bolton he once said to me you know, about six years ago, probably, Robbie, you're one of the most, you know, Robbie, you know what, you're one of the most just creative people that I know. And I remember thinking basically, well, Phil, that's probably because you spent most of your career as an accountant. Um, Like, what do you know? Um, And, uh, but, you know, even I can't really deny it, right? 270 blog posts, um, four books, you know, all these other things that I've, I've made and created. But it, that's been a, hard, a long, hard slog to get rid of that story. And there's lots of reasons that that story came about. I have teacher creativity scars, like, you know, Brene Brown says most of us yeah. have that. Even caring teachers accidentally give someone a creativity scar. 
Um, but I also was probably the least creative of my siblings. That's one of the things I've okay. present. So it's like, I'm the boring middle child who studied maths at university, Aww. not the maverick older brother who, who um, you know, had to redo some A-levels and then went on to, but went on to study music at Lippa or the oh, really? you know, glamorous younger sister who did, um, perf- you know, studied dance at one of London's leading dance schools. So um, I was the boring middle child, exactly. That's so interesting, isn't it? How like comparison with siblings can can enhance um, or, or just yeah, like if you put put you next to loads of accountants, <laughs> and, but 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 yeah, but our, our kind of upbringing, who we're around, just yeah, it just makes such a difference. The, the thing in a way that's most meaningful for me is I love the stories from people who, you know, essentially I set out at the start of the year when I started thinking, part of the reason we're having this conversation, I started thinking like, what is, what's success for me for these, for these books? And then I answered that question and it's like, sell some books, get some clients, that kind of thing. And then I asked Robert Holden's killer success question. Yeah, but what's real success? which is mm. in italics and underlined the word real. And, and that was like, it took me a little while. And then it was like, real success is, I love these times. It's very meaningful when people say, I've been meaning to or wanting to do this thing for a long time. And then I came across your work and I've finally done it. And I've had some, I have had some really lovely, wonderful, particularly this year, um, responses on that. Just this sense of people not millions of people, right? Because I've sold hundreds of books, not thousands. And, you know, that's the kind of scale that mostly my business operates at. You know, but it's like, I get a message from a, a woman who read my book as part of a, a book club that one of my old clients uh, runs. And she, she was like, I got halfway through it. And then I stopped reading because I started doing things that I've been yes. meaning to do for a long time. I was like, oh, that's so good. That's much better than finishing the book. Please, please don't yeah. go back to the book. Just do the stuff. Like that's what changes the world. And, and, and when I say changes the world, I do kind of think this stuff about these things that we want to do and aren't doing, it does have a changing the world quality to it. Because for me, the, like the other way I could have talked about what I'm proud of is, is in some ways the change in me. And that's one of the things also, as you were reflecting on, reflecting those things back to me about what's changed about me. One of them is there used to be a load of things that I wished I'd done or mm. wanted to do. And there aren't really those things anymore. There are instead a list of things I've done and a list of things I could choose to do. And that's a really yeah, I was gonna different ask place to that. Feel. Are there any things that you're like, oh, that's my next edge that I'm resisting? I worry, I worry about this a bit, Sarah. Like it doesn't oh, feel like, like that at the nothing. moment. <laughs> but that can't, you know, what does that mean for me about about resistance and about all this stuff that I believe? Like it, it possibly means there's a place on the other side of it. Or it possibly means I haven't looked for it again yet. But that, you well, know, yeah. the book projects have been like that. So it is worth saying, yeah. like, when I had that conversation with Steve about the when it was one book, that was autumn 2019. And wow. it, so everything was written then, pretty much. But the first book didn't come out till late 2021. And the fourth one won't come out till late 2022. So that's two to three years after they were essentially Yeah. Written. So that was a battle to get through that. And it has been a battle to... Um, to, you know, absorb that into my identity, to become someone who's written books, to become someone who's published those books. Yeah. It's been a battle this year in some cases, 
you know, um, to speak about those books, to, to have conversations like this. Um, and then I, I don't know whether it's the, like, I don't know what the next thing will be, but, but I'm kind of, it's getting to, I often, I, I use the calendar year as a, as a way to think about my work often. And so it's getting to that stage in the calendar year where I'm starting to think the projects for 2022 are nearly done. Wonder what 2023 mm. is going to be. And like, one of them is like, why have I never put a lot of energy into growing my business? That's one of the things I think about. So I've all, I, you know, I have, I have made enough money for me from my business and I've never really tried to grow it bigger than that. Um, and mostly I've told myself that's because I've got better things to do, like doing creative things. But could that be resistance? Like, I don't well, know. It's interesting. This is interesting. Yeah. And I also, I'm hearing from you, like, it might just not be the phase of resistance that you're working with right now. As in, as in, like, we can be obsessed in our society with being in grit, of being pushing ourselves. What's the next thing? It's quite an American, I think. And maybe it's nice sometimes just be like, you know what? Things are going well right now. Yeah. And, and But also I've got good at like not listening to my own nonsense. Um, yeah. So it's quite often that I just don't notice it as much anymore because it doesn't occupy me for three weeks going You're like, cute. Oh, oh, should I email this? Should I email Sarah? Because she might be offended because my book's about not quitting. And I actually don't know if she'll want to interview me. And I don't know if, you know, like she'll be able to say no, it might be embarrassing. And then we'll never be able to speak to each other again. Where I yeah. might have agonized about that for like three or six weeks, five years ago. Now it's like, I'll send Sarah an email. It'll be okay. Yes, those thoughts might happen, but probably they won't because she's very nice. And let's see what happens. And it's interesting because I, when I think about that, I think like yeah, these are th these are other things that I've practiced in my business. I think being self-employed mm. is a great way to be faced with lots of resistance. And I've practiced mm. reaching out to people because that's part of a, that's a very useful skill to have in when you're running a business. And so it's much less that too is much less stressful for me than it used to because I've practiced and I found an authentic. Uh, way to reach out to people with what I think is integrity and so it's less stressful than it used to be. I just have one last question which is kind of the thing about Frank Turner <laughs> so I've discovered also that we both love Frank Turner who's an amazing yeah. musician and you talked about how he had like a three-day festival or something and mm. you know he was able to have enough fans to have like three days or four days at the roundhouse yeah. and yeah, I was going to share my story about Frank Turner as I've loved him for years. And then um, I was working at Glastonbury in 2019 and I was comparing the stage and they always have a secret act, but I didn't know that. So on my run sheet, it said Mr. T. And I was doing research about all of the artists and I was like Googling, who's Mr. T? <laughs> like I found some like really obscure, like some kind of, I don't know, reggae artist or something. And I was like getting yeah. ready, getting ready to introduce Mr. T. And then they're like, no, no, it's Frank Turner. <laughs> but funny. don't worry, Will. And then I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I got to watch him and chat to him. And he was, it, I, that song Photosynthesis, I actually just put it on earlier. Yeah. Um, because it's, it really makes me cry. I love it so yeah. much. And, but anyway, the, the story of Frank Turner aside, I wondered if you have something right now that feels like, the equivalent of the roundhouse like what that you have as like and maybe you've already got there but I wonder what if, if you have your own roundhouse in terms of an aspiration yeah yeah so the, the story in that book so yeah Frank Turner we could talk about that for another another hour I reckon um <laughs> let me tell two two quick things about Frank Turner so one is 
yeah, that photo, I, I think that that photosynthesis, photosynthesis, if people listen to it, and I, I would recommend finding a, li a, a live version on, on YouTube or, or something. Oh yeah, put it on, put it on. Um, uh, and that feeling of, of Frank Turner from the start of when he, because I, I probably discovered him just before his second album came out. My friend used to like the punk band he was in before this, and now he's a kind of uh, singer, acoustic-y singer-songwriter. That energy probably carried me through, like it, it, it spoke to the idealism in me that got me quitting the jobs that I didn't like and looking mm. for something that was more than just, you know, in the photosynthesis, it's like not, not just a way to kind of while away the time and photosynthesize. So this, yeah, the story in the book is that like, um, I had a real moment of like, what's the point of doing this? Cause I went to this gig four days at the roundhouse, 4,000 people or however many fit in the roundhouse sold out every day, Frank headlining every day, amazing group of people, just amazing feeling to be in a place with people united by that kind of authenticity and kindness and drive that he and his music has. And um, I basically had a, like a total crisis about it. I was like, which is in that chapter in the book, which is what's the really, what's the point in these tiny little things that I do? Because um, they'll never amount to this. Yeah, I basically had a crisis that, um, yeah, that like, what was the point? How was my stuff ever going to amount to to that, to um, to something as meaningful as that. And then I remembered that Frank's story w wasn't that. Frank's story was like the keeping going story, which is I'm gonna gig, I'm gonna gig anywhere. I think he tells the story, told the story, I'm gonna gig anywhere that I can get a bed to sleep on and 50 pounds for the gig. And I'm gonna keep doing that um, because that's the craft and that's what I love doing. And that's what I'm practicing. Um, and see where we get to. And where he got to in the end was this, but he didn't set out to get there. He just set out to, make great music and um do the do the things that mattered um and so that was a reminder to me to just keep going um, and that i won't build a roundhouse and frank didn't set out to build a roundhouse but I'll, maybe i'll build something that's a bit like that you know i remember going to the frank turner gigs where like there was one where um i think it was shepherd's bush empire where his manager crowd surfed because he'd promised frank that if they ever headlined a three thousand capacity venue he would do a stage dive and this was the first time they'd done it. And I was at that gig. So I, I've watched Frank in little, in like the library in Lancaster, which is a literal library. And I've watched him in like um, tiny little places in, in York um, and that kind of thing. And then, so I've seen that if you just keep going, sometimes these magical things happen. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a part of it really. That's a part of, that's one reason to not quit is like, you never know when you'll end up someone saying, and I, which I as imagine they did at some point, someone said, do you think we could do a four-day festival somewhere? <laughs> like, what a ridiculous thing to do, headline four days in a row. And yet the first one was sold out, second one was sold out. Um, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I love that. I, these are such wonderful stories. And I, I really urge everyone listening to, um, to read your book. How can people find you? What have you got that people can get involved in? This is your moment to, to, to share publicly about your amazing brilliance. <laughs> so, like, um, my website has grown. Like, I put it up first by to get out of resistance. Cause I was like, ah, oh, a website could be resistance. I'll just like get one up. And that means that mm. it wasn't thought through, of course, with all the stuff that happens now. So, but you can find everything about me from robbyswale.com. Um, now it's not, you might have to dig a bit to find the 12 minute method podcast or something like that if you want to do it. So robbyswale.com is a good place to just hit if you just want to learn more about me. It's got coaching, it's got stuff for coaches. It's got all the 12 minute stuff. The books are on Amazon, but they're also on the Blackwell's website on Waterstones and places like that. Um, 
the podcast, 12 Minute Method podcast and the Coach's Journey podcast, which is one for coaches. They're all on all the podcast places. Um, the stuff for coaches is at thecoachesjourney.com. There's a 12 Minute Method Facebook group, which I would love like some people to come to. And then um, uh, I have kind of tried a 12 minute approach to that, which I try and post one thing every week, uh, but it hasn't really picked up. So if you want to come there and like make it fun, I would love someone <laughs> to do that. Um, and then I'm also on all the social media. And if you want to connect, I love, I'd love to connect, especially if this has touched you in some way. Um, and the best place to do that is LinkedIn because because of all those blogs um, over many years, that's the place that I'm most active on. Amazing. Robbie, it's been such a treat. And I feel, yeah, like such good food for thought. I think it's really important to uh, like explore this side of quitting, which is the side of committing. And I talk a lot about, you know, often when when we think about quitting it actually strengthens our desire to do something more because we realize actually this is important so i'm yeah this has given me a lot to think about and i'm yeah really grateful that you've shared shared all of this yeah it's been it's been a total pleasure it's flown by i feel really i've got a very lovely energy in this moment And, and i guess that thing you said there sarah just made me think of one thing that i don't think i've quite said but i think that is really important it's like you just talked about choosing to not quit like thinking about quitting and then choosing to not quit. Like that's a really yeah. great, it's a very powerful thing to do. I think one of the things that I've learned from the from not quitting over six and a bit years is I'm someone who can not quit. Yeah. And I don't think I knew that before. I'm someone who can choose to do something and not quit. And the reason that I would recommend every, everyone actually to choose something, start it and then not quit it is to learn that you can do that. Um, because once you learn that you can do that, the whole future looks different because it's like, well, I could choose to, if I like music is probably not going to be it for me, probably not. Cause I feel like my musical journey in some ways has ended. But if I decided that I wanted to, by the time I retired, be really good at the piano, I now know that I could probably do that because I I'm, I'm someone who can not quit. And so again, it's not that you shouldn't quit anything, but just like looking at stuff sometimes and then deciding to quit is a good thing knowing that you can not quit is, and then quitting is really different to feeling like mm. you, you can't see something through and, and quitting. Oh my God. I, I really hear that distinction. Um, yeah. Being someone, are you talking about the identities, like being someone who can commit and continue something is incredibly empowering. Amazing. Thank you so much, Robbie. Yeah. Have that's a great day. A total pleasure. You too. listening to today's episode of knowing when to quit our guest was robbie swale and you can find out more about robbie at robbieswale.com and thecoachesjourney.com all information about his 12 minute method is also in the show notes if you've enjoyed this episode and want to support us you can share this episode with people you think will enjoy it and you can leave us a review or rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on Thanks so much and see you next time. Who